Alrighty, well, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on uh, WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley, and Jim Dwyer is uh, going to be down in downtown Detroit tonight enjoying the hockey game. So, uh, playing Florida tonight and kind of a big game of some of the marquee uh, teams currently atop the Eastern Division. And that parody in the NHL is uh, kind of a good lead-in for the new developing situation in the GOP primary. Obviously, uh, it was somewhat enjoyable last week to watch Donald Trump eat some crow for once. Um, I think I accurately predicted that Cruz would narrowly win. Uh, I don't understand Rubio's uh, victory dance finishing third, but whatever. I guess he is the bubble boy, as they say, and uh, it will be interesting to see what happens to him in New Hampshire following his uh, somewhat uh, incompetent uh, debate performance on Saturday night. Hillary, of course, uh, that was not a virtual tie. That was a literal tie. <laughs> uh Hillary has not done well Iowa in Iowa in previous uh, previous uh, go around, so I would say that that was a wash. And I don't think that the Democratic primary tomorrow is going to tell us much. Bernie should win. The question is, what is the margin? I'm sort of guessing that most of O'Malley's votes uh, go to um, Bernie, and Bernie's uh, main problem may be the. Uh, fact that Donald Trump did finish second in Iowa because um, New Hampshire has a long tradition of trying to negate the results from Iowa and it also has a tradition of the hometown home field advantage. Recall that Paul Sangas of all people won the New Hampshire primary in 1992 and it didn't do him much good. John McCain won the New Hampshire primary back in 2000, but he was unable to cachet that victory into momentum and money uh, to compete in South Carolina where he got trounced pretty thoroughly by W, the wanker. And that brings us to Jeb. Well, I'll give Jeb Bush a brain damage award. Anytime you make a campaign pitch at a town hall meeting in New Hampshire and then you say, Please clap. I think you're looking at the terminal stages of Jeb Bush's candidacy. What's interesting about Jeb Bush is he actually has enough money to continue running. But uh, I think he his heart really isn't in it. He seems at this point to be kind of like the proverbial son that's been assigned some household chores that he just doesn't want to perform anymore. And uh, barring a surprise second-place finish or a third-place finish, which I think is possible, I would think that Jeb Bush would begin to think about withdrawing. So John Kasich may be the key X factor in the New Hampshire primary. He's pretty much announced that he's, uh, and he's, and he's genuinely put everything into the New Hampshire town hall format. That's one of the differences between Iowa and New Hampshire. Donald Trump, of course, lost for 
a variety of reasons or didn't do quite as well as uh, expected. I'll just sort of uh, do a quick analysis of some of Donald Trump's blunders down the stretch. Um, I think he made a big mistake uh, bringing Sarah Palin into the uh, into the media circus. Uh, she didn't help him either by endorsing him or giving any of those wretched speeches that she did. So Miss Moose, uh, still silly as a goose. And she's not really a, a broker in the Republican Party, I don't think. She's what I call a bandwagon jumper. She's always uh, gotten involved in these sort of last-second endorsements after she looks at the polls and uh, has jumped into some quote-unquote public endorsements that bring attention to her and the candidate. And I think following some of her disastrous uh, comments uh, in which she appeared with Donald Trump on stage a couple of times, I'm sure Trump is regretting bringing her in as a, quote, surprise guest, as he put it, a couple of days before she showed up. Donald Trump got snowed in uh, in Iowa uh, one weekend, a couple of weekends to go, uh, a couple of weekends ago, and it was rather interesting because he decided, uh, after staying at a one of those uh, uh, commercial hotels that he doesn't stay in very often, he was quoted as saying, good mattress, clean. And then he went to church the next day. And I thought that was very superficial on his part because uh, sure enough, uh, shortly thereafter, he gave a campaign pitch in which he mentioned... Uh, two Corinthians rather than the proper second Corinthians, demonstrating that he has rarely read the Bible or apparently heard any Bible verses. So I think that was another minor mistake. I think his biggest mistake, of course, was boycotting the Iowa debate. Um, that just created a controversy. He got into a big fight with Fox News. Uh, he dissed Megyn Kelly yet again, so he brought up all of this uh, baggage from his previous uh, Megyn Kelly uh, offensive comments, and I don't think it did him any good. Um, Fox News is an arbiter of uh, right-wing ideology in America today. Like it or not, those are the facts. Um, I think that uh, they've done pretty... Uh, Pretty reliable in, uh, analytics about Fox News. Who watches it? Well, it's about 90% conservatives, and it's this echo chamber that is uh, part of our uh, dwindling civic political process in which people seek out news that agrees with their viewpoint and their viewpoint only. Um Picking a fight with Fox News uh, was a big mistake, and Donald Trump seems to believe that he can campaign for president sort of as this virtual celebrity, which I think he has succeeded to some degree about, uh, you know, sucking up all the media coverage. But at the same time, the downside of that is that he uh, sometimes is overexposed and he makes mistakes uh, with all of his comments. And it's quite interesting that uh, 
And I haven't read this edition of the National Review yet, but I'll uh, go to our public library. I'm sure I can look it up online if I wish. But apparently the latest edition of the National Review excoriates Trump uh, pretty uh, broadly. Uh, They take uh, issue with Trump being a conservative, and they do not want Donald Trump as Rich Lowry, and I'm paraphrasing here, the editor of the uh, National Review, put it, we don't want Trump hijacking the conservative movement. So what we've got set up here in the Republican uh, primaries is quite clearly a schism. Cruz, um, like him or not, uh, has at least uh, made, I think, strategic uh, moves that that have helped his uh, candidacy. And he probably will benefit a little bit uh, from Huckabee dropping out, though Huckabee, of course, jumped on the Trump bandwagon, as I recall. And uh, Rick Santorum also dropped out. Now, he endorsed Rubio. And the question is, does Rubio really have legs, or is he a pretender? And I think that... uh, We will find out. As for Sarah Palin, just to dispense with her, in her first campaign appearance, this is from the 20th of January, uh, New York Times uh, beat coverage of the Palin-Trump appearance, she said he's been going rogue left and right. That's why he's doing so well. He's been able to tear the veil off this idea of the system. Well... He only got 24% of the vote in Iowa, so I don't know how uh, big that piece of veil that Donald Trump is holding actually is. In fact, that piece of veil may be on his head at this point as part of his new hairpiece. I don't know. Inquiring minds want to know. But one of the real reasons that I think uh, Trump uh, didn't get it done, as they say, in addition to the fact that he gave arrogant stump speeches in which he only talked about the fact that he was, quote, winning in the polls and was, quote, a winner, therefore vote for me. I think there were some Iowans that were offended by that. But at the end of the day, the fundamental difference between New Hampshire and Iowa is that Iowa is really about organization on the ground, and Trump flunked this test. I'm going to read here from an article that probably few people actually consulted back in December of uh, last year, uh, right around Christmas. This article is dated from the 20th of December in the Sunday New York Times by, once again, a beat reporter named Trip Gabriel. But I wanted to read why Trump ultimately had problems producing the results that didn't materialize. Uh, Trip Gabriel writes, Mr. Trump's Iowa director predicted that he would recruit a leader for each of the state's 1,681 Republican precincts by Thanksgiving. Instead, the first major training session for precinct leaders, heavily promoted in emails and conference calls, only drew about 80 people to West Des Moines last weekend with about 50 participating online. 
there you have it. You have six over 1,600 precincts in Iowa, and Donald Trump only had 80 people actually show up for the training session. A Democratic expert in that <clears throat> Iowa uh, organizing process characterized Donald Trump's efforts on the ground as malpractice uh, because the Trump, Trump campaign it had revealed, and I'm quoting here from Trip Gabriel's article, wanted to turn out of 4,800, 48,000 people, uh, which uh, experts viewed as a highly optimistic view of other Republican candidates and campaign and independent experts. Quote, it's easy for someone to sit on a phone when they get a polling call and say, I like candidate X, said Steve Grubbs, the Iowa state director for Rand Paul, referring to Mr. Trump's strength in Iowa polls. It's far different to get that person out of a lazy boy to hop in a car and avoid the black ice and head to their local firehouse. Mr. Trump according to Mr. Grubbs, stated that Trump had, pay, had 15 paid Iowa staff members compared with 30 working for a super PAC supporting Ben Carson that is organizing on his behalf in Iowa. Now, of course, Ben Carson, as of the, the reading of this uh, and the reporting on this article back in December of 2015, was already fading fast, and it demonstrates that Trump, assuming that he had half the organizing strength of Ben Carson, was simply not going to do as well as he thought in his own mind. So this is the actual reason why Trump did so poorly. Now, when we turn to New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire, of course, is known for the town hall meetings. It doesn't have uh, big cities. It has little, tiny schoolhouses, firehouses, this sort of thing, where you have to meet voters face-to-face. -face. And when you run an air campaign like Trump, who I think will probably win in Iowa, I mean in New Hampshire, simply because New Hampshire has a lot of independent voters who are registered independent, and independents are allowed to pick their party when they go to the polls. And they can cross over. So there's going to be a, uh, the polls in New Hampshire, are, I think, going to be very volatile and somewhat unpredictable. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the end of uh, Jeb, exclamation point, please clap Bush. I think he needs to change the exc exclamation point to an emoji showing the frowny face because, uh, I don't know, uh, Jeb Bush just simply cannot win this time around. His problem is not only the mood of the Republican electorate on the one hand, but the fact that his brother, when he re, uh, left office in 2009, had approval ratings that were lower than Richard Nixon when he resigned in 1974. And that was largely because uh, uh, George W. Bush had uh, su supervised two... Uh, Incompetent wars, had the Katrina problem, and presided over the worst economic uh, crash since the Great Depression. Those are the facts.
And, of course, it's interesting that just this over the weekend, we saw new unemployment results come out. And 4.9 is is the number. Now, these uh, job figures are somewhat, uh, you know, it's it's a muddle. It's a muddle in the middle. Slight increase in weekly pay because uh, the minimum wage went up in some states. But the point is, is that the economy has performed much better under Barack Obama than it did under George W. Bush. And one of the fascinating things about Bernie Sanders' message that I take some issue with, because I agree with much of what Bernie says on many things, but I think he's overly focused on, quote, Wall Street and underly focused on the problems of K Street. K Street, of course, is the lobbying uh, entity down in Washington, D.C., He doesn't talk about K Street enough, and he doesn't talk about Silicon Valley enough. And this has been one of my pet peeves with Bernie Sanders. I think that Silicon Valley, combined with uh, a couple of corporations that are located in the Seattle region, the Big Five, are dominating our economy too much and are creating unforeseen problems in the American economy. The... Uh, February 25th edition of the New York Review of Books is a particularly interesting edition. And by the way, there is an analysis of a recently published book about the biography of George Herbert Walker Bush by Joseph Lilleveld that I think describes quite well why Jeb Bush is having so many problems uh, as a candidate. Uh, He takes much more after his father, who was not a very good politician, probably a better president than uh, he gets credit for, um, but a terrible politician and certainly a low-energy guy, which has been one of the fundamental sort of narrative complaints of, uh, of Jeb. At the end of the book, at the end of the review, uh, I'll just read this one thing about the interesting uh, c- conversation that he had uh, with Brent Scowcroft, his former national security advisor. In 1998, they wrote a book that was co-authored by Brent Scowcroft. And I'm quoting here from uh, Joseph uh, Lullyveld. Scowcroft explained why he hadn't sent U.S. forces to Baghdad, Baghdad to topple the dictator. To occupy Iraq would instantly shatter our coalition, turning the whole Arab world against us and make a broken tyrant into a latter-day Arab hero, quote-unquote. It would also condemn young soldiers to, quote, what would be an unwinnable guerrilla urban war and plunge part of the world into an ever greater instability, destroying the credibility that we were working so hard to reestablish. Kind of unfortunate that George W. Bush didn't even read This book, written by his father and co-authored by Brent Scowcroft, because I think that explains partially why Jeb Bush is doing so poorly. But the most interesting article in the uh, February 25th edition of the uh, New York Review of Books is by uh, Jacob Weisberg, who uh, has written over many years about a variety of political and cultural issues, entitled We Are Hopelessly Hooked. And he's reviewing four books here that are about the 
uh, digital age technology. Uh, <clears throat> one book is entitled Reading the Comments, Likers, Haters, and Manipulators at the Bottom of the Web. Another book is entitled Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. These are books, for, these four books are all somewhat critical of the new uh, so-called information social media-based economy that the media is hyping uh, pretty much 24-7, 365 here in the United States of America. And at the heart of the social media, uh, there are a variety of cultural problems uh, that are starting to emerge but here's one interesting uh, paragraph from the article. He writes, uh, Jacob Weisberg, Americans spend an average of five and a half hours a day with digital media, more than half that time on mobile devices, according to researchers from eMarketer. Among some groups, the numbers range higher. In one survey, female students at Baylor University reported using their cell phones an average of 10 hours a day. Three-quarters of 18 to 24-year-olds say that they reach for their phones immediately upon waking up in the morning. Once out of bed, we check our phones 221 times a day an average for an average of 4.3 minutes, according to a, a United Kingdom study. This number may be too low, since people tend to underestimate their own mobile usage. In 2015, a Gallup survey noted that 61% of people said they checked their phones less frequently than others they knew. So there's even a kind of a denial about how much some people will admit in surveys how often they're looking at their cell phones. Well, if they're looking at their cell phones all day uh, for messages and whatnot, they're not really doing anything. What are they doing productive? Not much. Most of the messages aren't that important. And a lot of it is sorting out the, the wheat from the chaff, as they say. Of course, other critics uh, note uh, regarding uh, social media and the problems uh, that it might be causing. Uh, in Alone Together, a book published in 2011, um, Turkle, who is the author of one of the books that Weisberg uh, uh, was reviewing here, examined the way in which robotic toys and, quote, always-on connections affect adolescence development. She argued that phones and texting disrupt the ability to separate from one's parents and to raise obstacles to adulthood. Curating a Facebook profile alters the presentation of self. Absorption in a gaming avatar can become a flight from the difficulties of real life. Young people now face new anxieties about the loss of privacy and the persistence of online, online data. In her new book, she expresses a version of these concerns that is as much philosophic as psychiatric. Because they aren't learning how to be alone, she contends, young people are losing their ability to empathize. And I mention all of this because there's this fascinating demographic uh, analysis regarding Hillary Clinton's problems within the Democratic constituency, that Bernie Sanders is getting 80% of young people between the ages of 18 and 29. Of course, it's often omitted that he's offering free college tuition 
uh, how this would be accomplished, he's not all that specific about because uh, there's no uh, move in Congress to fund such money for, for any, there's no bill that's pending regarding such an idea. So how this gets through is unclear, particularly when state universities are guided by their own state budgets. And of course, just this last week, we saw in Washington uh, hearings before the government oversight uh, House Committee regarding the Flint water crisis. What did we see? What did we witness? We saw the same old, same old. We saw the Republicans bashing the EPA, trying to blame the whole thing in Flint on the EPA, when it's quite clear that the EPA <clears throat> played a role, but it wasn't all that important. And a refusal thus far by either the state of Michigan under the leadership of Snyder and the Republicans that control the state legislature, or the United States Congress, which, of course, um, uh, spending in House bills have to originate. Uh, presidents can't spend money. They can veto bills, but they and they can propose them, but they can't actually authorize, authorize emergency spending for something like the Flint situation. Um, Estimates vary about how much money this will cost to fix. What's happening? Well, the answer is absolutely nothing. N-U-T-T-I-N. Nothing. Nothing's happening. And uh, there should be some outrage about that. Uh, Hillary Clinton, of course, was pilloried for coming to Flint yesterday to... uh, you know, as part of a solidarity move amidst this kind of dull Yonville, New Hampshire primary where we pretty much know what the results are going to be. Bernie's going to win. The question is, what's the margin? And then the big issue for the Democrats is what happens in South Carolina. Ted Cruz is smart. He's just written off New Hampshire and says, I don't care if I finish fifth. I'm putting all my chips and money into the South, into the into Super Tuesday, because if you look at the actual delegates that are picked on March first, which isn't that far away, it's rather astonishing the states that vote that day: Minnesota, Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Georgia, Arkansas, Texas, Virginia, Vermont. I think Bernie will win Vermont, and and uh, Massachusetts. Um, so that a lot of delegates are going to be picked just in a couple weeks, literally. Um, and then by March 15th, and by the way, the Michigan primary is four weeks away as of today. By March 15th, which is five weeks away, you can see from the way the delegate uh, breakdown you know, works itself out, that Ted Cruz is going to be in a very good position uh, within the Republican Party. And while there is this schism occurring regarding Donald Trump, and the new attacks on Marco Rubio by Dumbo and Jumbo. Rand Paul used to serve that function in the debates, but after he left the, uh, the race just last week following his fourth or fifth place, uh, place finish in Iowa, um, Chris Christie decided that his path to the nomination was to start attacking Rubio. Now, he had done a little bit of that before in some of the debates, but over the weekend it got pretty uh, pretty heavy. 
And I don't know that Marco Rubio held up all that well under the heavy, uh, the heavy weather, the criticism of two candidates, Christie and Jeb Bush, that finished like in sixth and seventh place in Iowa. Maybe it was seventh and eighth place. I don't even remember. I know Ben Carson was in the top five, and I'm somewhat puzzled why he's still in the race. But you can see what's going to happen here. This New Hampshire primary is not going to determine very much because Cruz is already ready to move on to Super Tuesday. And Hillary, um, who, uh, who's presumably not going to beat Bernie, is moving on to the South Carolina primary that's coming up on the 20th of February, uh, where she should do uh, much better in the, the race and also the allocation of delegates. So um, don't believe the media hype about either Iowa or New Hampshire. They matter for fundraising purposes from past primary elections. But as we've seen in 2016, it's the billionaires, baby. The billionaires can buy a candidate, and that's the way the system works. And Bernie has it right. There's too much money. But there's nothing, and I mean N-U-T-T-I-N, there's nothing in the pipeline that's going to change this. Definitely like to thank Andrew King uh, for engineering once again, the Reverend Andrew here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly, and uh, tune in next week for another show. Good night. <laughs> I'm simply wild about my good cocaine. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm troubled to sing. My blackbirds are bluebirds